Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast with the Switch to Manual guys. I'm Antonio, and this is episode 66, and it happens to be the second one for the 2018 and the second one for January 2018. That's actually a two-episode month. Uh, that's my goal for this year is to put out two episodes per month no matter what. Uh, so I think I'm sticking to that even though this is the 30th. Well, actually, I plan to put one out in the middle of the month and at the end of the month. I like that kind of schedule. It gives me some time to figure out what to do and maybe, you know, set up some interviews and whatnot. And uh, don't have an interview tonight. Sorry. And Tom's not here. Sorry. Uh, it's just me again. And uh, but I figure, you know, keep the contact flow, content flowing uh, out into the world. And uh, you, guess, you guys get to hear my voice again for another period of time, uh, which means I'm talking to myself. Uh, not to anybody else tonight. I'm also going to be talking kind of in a lower voice because it's late now and I don't want to wake anybody up, um, meaning my wife in the other room, even though I have the door closed, I don't want to make too loud. So I'm going to kind of talk in a softer voice tonight while, while we're, while I'm recording the show, uh, and try to keep things a little subdued. It's about, it's about midnight. Actually, it's the 31st. So it is, you know, I'm definitely cutting it down to the wire. Uh, my my plan is to put the show out today, uh, later today at some point, uh, and so uh, yeah, we'll we'll actually stick to the uh, two episodes a month. I, I like that. Um, I think I can actually manage that this year. So that's the plan. Anyway, thanks for joining me tonight, today, wherever you are in the world. Uh, I really uh, appreciate you guys uh, listening to the show and and actually supporting us. So. Uh, it's great. I got a few sort of random things to talk about. Again, not a real big plan. Uh, you know, it's January. It's winter. Uh, right now, I'm spending a lot of time working and, uh, it's, you know, trying to make money to survive. And so photography is kind of, I don't say it's on the back burner. It's not quite the white way to say it. But, you know, I spend most of my days doing stuff in video production and working on a television show and uh, doing video reviewing for a stock film agency. So there's a lot a lot of other stuff going on while we're trying to survive. And it's, you know, January. And so it's kind of like the hibernation period. Uh, I still am taking pictures on my way to work and way back. Uh, maybe less so on the way back because it's kind of dark and nighttime. And I don't, I don't generally do street photography at night. Uh, I don't want to, you know, I'm not using a flash anyway. So it's just usually during the morning. Sorry, not in the morning. Uh, afternoon, early afternoon when I'm on my way to work that I'm, I'm shooting on the street and maybe sometimes on the weekends. I do have to work on weekends now um, sometimes and, you know, I got chores and stuff to do. So there's not a lot of time to go out and photograph. Although um, I will just say that last uh, weekend that just passed, I did get uh, a couple of chances to go out to my local Greenwood Cemetery, which I love going to a lot. And uh, also Red Hook is another place you guys probably have seen a lot of my photographs from. Because, uh, you know, we go and uh, do food shopping down there. And uh, my wife will let me, uh, while she goes food shopping, you know, we drive down there, we park. And I said, you know, hey, do you mind if I go out and take some pictures while you're shopping? She goes, yeah, no, that's no problem because she likes to shop by herself. And uh, not that I can get in the way. I like shopping and I like going food shopping. But, you know, I was down there and I thought the weather was good. And I brought my uh, Fuji X-T20. Uh, it's sort of a new device and uh i think what was i shooting with uh 55 to 200 millimeter lens which is also sort of a new view uh to be looking at through a fuji camera you know i've got my nikon system and i've got a full suite of lenses on that but since i've started to get into the fuji bug i've been starting to increase that system uh so you know i have the fuji x100t which is a rangefinder style camera and I have the uh, X-T10, and now I have the X-T20, and I'm probably going to sell the X-T10 at some point, maybe. Or I might keep it as a second body. But, you know, as I move over from one system to another, I have to start sort of increasing my lens amounts that I have to sort of make up for what uh, I'm missing from, uh, using, from not using my Nikon system. Although I think I might try some adapters uh, to hook up my Nikon lenses to my Fuji cameras. But, you know, when you do the adapters, you'll lose a bunch of things like uh, the ability to, to use the uh, 
image stabilization um, on the lenses. Although Nikon, the lenses I have in my Nikon, there's not a lot that I have with image stabilization because I was just buying, when I was buying the lenses, that was the generation when they didn't have a lot of image stabilization, which is really weird uh, and, and sort of annoying. Um, so I don't think uh, I'll be connecting a lot of those lenses to my Fuji system, but I might. I might try some of the, you know, the different adapters, uh, the Metabones adapters, or there's a few other ones that I can try that uh, might give me some really interesting things to play with. Um, but in the in the meantime, the uh, Fuji system needs to be built up, and so uh, you know I have that Trio uh, Lens Baby Trio. 28, which was really for fun things to do. I don't have that equivalent on my Nikon. And then I got, uh, you know, I started buying uh, third-party lenses for the Fuji, which uh, equate to uh, Rokinon lenses or Samyang. I think they're the same company. Uh, and the first one I got was a 12 millimeter, which was really a lot of fun. And then I bought a one, um, sorry, an 85 millimeter, which is a medium portrait lens which I really, really like a lot. Now, neither of the, both of those lenses are both manual focus and uh, neither of them have image stabilization. So they're, you know, they're good for some things and not good for others. I don't mind the manual focus too much, but the image stabilization on the, uh, on the 85, I could really use it on that. But, you know, it's not a big deal because I can hold pretty steady and the stuff that I'm shooting with it, you know, I don't necessarily need image stabilization. But then uh, I also have the 55, uh, sorry, the 18 to 55 kit lens for the Fuji, uh, which is, I hate to even say that word kit lens. And I think everybody who talks about this lens, uh, who owns a Fuji says it's not, a, it's not even, you know, a kit lens is not even the right way to call it. It's a really, really good lens. I mean, I've shot jobs with that lens and I've shot some videos with it and it's a beautiful lens. And so to round that out, I recently got a 55 to 200 one of the moderately priced Fuji lenses, and it's a variable aperture lens, which is not my favorite. It's also an external zooming lens, which means the entire body extends when you zoom out the camera. And I re I'm, I'm really not a big fan of that style. Uh, again, uh, coming from Nikon, where everything that I own is internal zoom, meaning that I, I, when I zoom the lens, um, the, the lens stays physically the same size. Um, I really like that. It, there's a practical reason to that, too. I mean, I don't really like to have the lens extend out. But, uh, you know, I, I did want this format, and I don't really have any telephoto on the on the Fuji side, and 200 now being the extremely, uh, my the extreme telephoto that I now have, it's offering me a new viewpoint on the Fuji cameras, which I, I haven't had before. And uh, I'll post some pictures in the... Uh, hmm, I was going to say the show notes, but uh, right now the Switch to Manual website is down. I'll talk to you about that a little bit later, so I can't really put up show notes, but maybe I'll put them up on the uh, on the Podbean page where the where the podcast is hosted. I can put some pictures there, or even links to you know the pictures on Flickr. But uh, you know the viewpoint. You know, every time you uh, buy a new lens for a camera, you're you're sort of extending your vocabulary that you can you, you can speak with your pictures. And so I've been speaking a certain way with my Fuji pictures, and now I can sort of add to that. And it's been, I hate to say it's been a while since I've seen uh, telephoto in a while, but I haven't been using my Nikons uh, that much. And so uh, I've been, you know, only carrying the Fuji with me. And so having, having a 200 millimeter range uh, is really, really fun for a lot of things. I'm recently went to the Brooklyn Botanic Garden and there was a great blue heron, I believe it was, great blue, big one, big heron. And I uh, was able to get some great shots of that bird um, tucked behind some tree branches and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have gotten it with any of the other lenses. Even the 85 is the, the Samyang, or sorry, broken on 85 that I have for the Fuji. It's just not quite of a, quite enough of a reach. So the 200 millimeter on this 55-200 was perfect. Uh, I, I asked for some advice about what kind of lens to get. And uh, a few people, you know, um, specifically Brian Muneer, who, who has been, uh, I'm going to get him on this show. Uh, really cool guy. I met him through Sid and Mac from uh, Shutter Time with Sid and Mac. And, uh, you know, we've been on, I've been on their show with him and we're Twitter friends. So we talk back and forth a lot and he, you know, was recommending, 
this 55 to 200 being a lens that is not too expensive, uh, but is very good quality. And I agreed with him and, and, uh, um, ended up getting the lens and, and for the most part, he's right, you know, and we, we, we both talked about some of the, the flaws in the lens. And of course the lens with, at this price range does have a few flaws. I mean, it's a variable aperture lens, which means the aperture changes depending on what focal length you use. Um, it does have image stabilization in it. So that, that focal length, that, uh, uh, variable aperture kind of doesn't play in that much. Uh, when you have a really good image stabilization and, uh, but the only other thing that's not entirely great is that it vignettes, meaning the corners of the picture get a little bit darker than the center. And in certain situations, you can see the picture, like, uh, you can see the vignetting, like when I take a picture of the moon last week and it was a blue, kind of not a, it was a dark blue sky cause it was dusk. And, you know, the moon is lit really nicely and, you, you know, you zoom up on the moon, it's really sharp. I mean, uh, you know, I, 200 millimeters, I was hand holding this and, and pointing at the moon. Of course, when you shoot the moon, you have to shoot at a higher shutter speed because the moon is reflecting sunlight. So, you know, you do get to, you know, some advantages of um, uh, the higher shutter speed when you're when you're using a telephoto lens. But the corners of the picture you can see are kind of getting a little dark and the camera does not. Uh, compensate for that inside the body. Usually some cameras like Fuji's will have profiles for the lenses built into the cameras. And then when you take a picture, uh, especially when you do a, a, a raw plus JPEG or a JPEG, there's usually a setting on the camera in the menus where you can tell the camera to compensate for some of the lens issues. And sometimes the lenses will be compensated for, for the vignetting and the camera will process them out a little bit. But this camera or this lens doesn't have that, or it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem to be working, or it doesn't get processed. So there's a little vignetting on it. Certain subjects, it works really well. Like, for instance, when I was shooting the Heron, the vignetting actually helped because uh, it just helped to uh, highlight the bird in the center of the frame, and then the corners were a little darker, and so your eye sort of goes right to the bird. It was really nice. In fact, I enhanced the vignetting and processing a little bit. But when I was shooting the shot of the moon in the sky, I wasn't really digging the vignetting. It, it actually doesn't look that bad, but you know, you can kind of see it and you're like, oh. so you kind of work with it. So, um, you know, in that price range, getting the lens before, before the end of last year, so I could write it off for my taxes. Um, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, I want to get, you know, it's sort of a, a compromise. You know, I, I'd like to get something that's got some zoom in it, um, but I can't afford to get, you know, one of the higher end Fuji telephoto lenses. Uh, so this worked out, I think, fine. And because I can, you know, once you know the problems, uh, I'd say problems, but let's say the deficiencies of the lens, you know how to work around them. So you know how you can, you know, you can shoot certain things. I think I, I haven't shot any portraits with it yet, which is actually what I'm looking forward to doing that because I kind of like that telephoto compressed look for some portraits, uh, although I might use the 85 too. The 85 Rokinon is a really nice portrait lens. Um, so, you know, it, this might, this, this 55 to 200 might work with, with that. But anyway, uh, you know, oh gosh, it's just starting to turn into a gear show. I didn't, you know, I got all these notes and I was like, I didn't want to talk about this so much, but, um, I even forgot where I was going. So the Fuji, blah, blah, blah. anyway, well, anyway, um, I'll put the pictures in the show notes. You can see it's it's a great. Uh, I I really enjoy moving to this system. I really enjoy the photographs from it, and uh, I'll I'll talk about that about in a second. Some pictures I took, but getting into other things, uh, a couple of things I want to do. Shout outs. First first of all, I wanted to thank uh, Sid and Mac for giving uh, me a shout out in their latest uh, Shutter Time podcast. They are talking about all different photographers who uh, they enjoy and inspire them. And uh, I made the list, so I'm really, you know, proud to have been on their, on their show and them talking about my work, and that I've made some sort of visual impact on, uh, on you know, people and on, uh, on a different podcast, different photographers. It's kind of nice to hear that uh, acknowledged. So, uh, thank you guys. Really appreciate um, being, you know, part of your show and and you guys appreciating my work. And I really enjoy being on their show a lot. You know. Um, we are, you know, cousins in another country, <laughs> you know, my Canadian cousins, as I like to call Sid and Mac. Uh, but, you know, I really 
uh, am thankful for uh, knowing them, and uh, I'm happy that they uh, got a chance to talk to about my work. Uh, amongst other photographers, it's a great show. Listen to it. There's a they have a nice long list of photographers that are inspiring. Um, so check out their latest episode, uh, which is out now. Um, sorry, I don't know off the top of my head what number they are, but uh, it's their list of photographers. And also a shout out to uh, my friend in Ireland, Bart Bouchot, part of the uh, the Let's Talk Photography podcast. And one of the guys who I believe is, uh, I'd say, responsible for getting me into podcasting, really inspiring me to to start this show. And anyway, the last episode that I did uh, only a couple of weeks ago, you know, a couple of few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, about the uh, automated uh, sort of the uh, machine learning uh, applications for processing pictures, um, that segment actually inspired Bart to uh, do a segment on his show. And uh, first of all, I want to thank him so much for for letting me what i was talking about inspire him to talk about uh you know um, algorithms and machine learning and artificial intelligence and photography on his podcast uh it was really you know when you start to inspire other people to do things like this is um for me a a feeling of uh, gratitude and, and happiness and just boy how lucky i am uh, to, to be able to do that for somebody else. And, um, you know, that's kind of what this is all about. You know, we do the podcast so that we can share our knowledge and, uh, hopefully, you know, there's that ripple effect that it goes out into the world and, and makes people think. And I'm really happy that Bart, uh, uh, Hey, I know he's listening to the show. So, Hey Bart, <laughs> uh, thanks so much. And, you know, that's number one. And, you know, he, he takes his, his, uh, his thought process a little further about, uh, what I was talking about now, it's just a couple of things. Um, I want to, I want to mention, first of all, Bart, I'm not really paranoid. <laughs> I may have sounded it. Uh, I wouldn't say I was acting entirely, but I think I was, um, doing a lot of the show tongue in cheek in some way, uh, not entirely, but in some way. Uh, so I'm not totally freaked out about it. Of course, they think, uh, um, you know, there's a place for machine learning and artificial intelligence and photography, and I'm sure it's going to be helping uh, uh, else helping us out a lot. What I wanted to sort of clarify again um, is uh, really is my caution about um, overly automated uh, processes, you know, whether it's photography or, or anything, you know, it's just being aware of what is in control of what. And Bart was saying on his show, I won't, I won't spoil it. I think you should go and download the latest episode of uh, Let's Talk Photography and, and listen to it. Um, but I think the idea of giving over, you know, total control for, I think some people is going to be uh, very appealing. And, what, you know, it's not going to be for Bart or me or, you know, most professionals or even professional amateurs. I mean, it's not the right word, but, you know, people are very serious in photography. But what I kind of, you know, wanted to put the flag out about was, you know, people who are not really photographers and who are thinking like, this is how, you know, I just want to pick up a camera and take a picture and hope it comes out good. And that's sort of my, you know, warning is that, uh, there possibly could be, you know, a, a subset of photographers who this is going to be, um, you know, the thing that they do and let the camera take over for them and because they just want to take pictures, whether it's going to be on their cell phone or whatever new camera they have. Most likely it's going to be a cell phone because I think the I even hate saying cell phones, you know, like iPhones or smartphones. Uh, those are going to be the cameras that everybody's going to be carrying with and uh, carrying around with. And, you know, I think anybody who buys a separate camera is going to be a little bit more serious about photography and thus will be in a little bit more control of how uh, these systems take over their camera or, or help them in uh, making making photography. But I think, you know, you know, I could say the civilians or people with smartphones who are just going to be taking pictures. I think this is where the, and I don't want to, again, I'm trying to sound paranoid and I want to say the danger of it, but let's just say that the, um, well, you know, the danger, <laughs> the danger of, of all photography, you know, a lot of mainstream photography beginning to look the same. Uh, I think the potential is there. Uh, whether or not it's actually going to happen, uh, I don't know. But I, I think the appeal 
of a system that uh, someone sits down to and you know either the camera doesn't snap until everything is in perfect focus or all the faces are doing one thing um, I think is going to maybe take away from the some of the experience and the mystery of photography where uh, I think like Bart says on his show about like being able to find out that you know the mistakes that you make are actually really happy mistakes and uh, you know whether or not someone takes a picture of a group of people with their cell phone and the phone doesn't snap until everybody's eyes are open and they're all smiling uh, might actually, you know, it, I don't think it's going to be such a great thing. But again, I'm not trying to sign paranoid about it. I don't think this is, I think overall it's going to be, uh, there's going to be helpful parts to this um, that will be uh, great for probably all of us. But I just want to, I wanted to put that the caution there. I want people to, um, especially, you know, switch to manual. <laughs> I always come back to that. We're all about shooting in manual. It's not always about shooting in manual. You know, it's not, we're not, uh, you know, waving that flag all the time and saying you got to be shooting in manual for everything. But the idea that you can, right now with the cameras that we have, let's say, you know, perhaps my Fuji X100T is I can, I can kind of understand what's going on with it. You know, I can kind of look at it. I can kind of see what the controls are doing and what decisions it's making, especially when I turn it on automatic and means because I have a, a knowledge of manual photography and so I can understand why the camera is making certain decisions and I can override it should I choose to. And I'm sure, you know what, I'm sure when these cameras or processing devices come out with artificial learning, you can obviously be able to override them uh, whenever you want. But um, I think the understanding of the photography and what goes on behind the scenes is really helpful. And I think some of the, uh, some of the things we have to be cautious about with these uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning applications for photography, whether it's processing or it's built into the camera, is that we may not actually know what's going on behind the scenes and thus how to override it in such a way that is meaningful is going to be, I'm going to be curious how that's going to work because I think we always want to be able to flip off the switch uh, for the automation, right? We want to be able to do something on our own if we want. Um, again, not everybody's going to want to do this. You know, the, the vast majority of people with phones in their pockets and their cameras, their camera phones, I think they're just going to want to take a picture of, you know, the waterfalls that they're visiting or the friends at the beach, and they're not going to really care. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I just think that uh, relying too much on automation and understanding the behind the scenes, um, I think it's actually very helpful to know what's going on behind the scenes with stuff. So anyway, uh, I put that out in the world, but I also wanted to mention that in this latest episode uh, with Bart uh, on uh, Let's Talk Photography, he's actually doing something like I do. He's really just talking about his thoughts about a subject. And, uh, you know, Bart, you're listening to this. I really, really want to say to you, I enjoyed your show immensely. It was great, great, great to hear your opinions and your thoughts about something. And, I mean, I love your shows when you're teaching us stuff. Uh, they're great to listen to, and don't make those go away, too. But it's really great to just hear your voice and your thoughts. And it's, you know, the Bart I know that you and I, when I when we talk in private, like I felt like that's that's who I was hearing. And so it's great to have that now and then. So I want to encourage you to do more of those kind of shows as well, not replace the other ones, but I really enjoy hearing your thoughts. So I wanted to say that out to the world. So everybody, you know, you got to go to... Uh, uh, let's talk photography or, um, what's the website? Well, the, the website I'll put in the links, but just do a Google search for let's talk photography. He's in iTunes. Listen to the latest episode. In fact, download all of his episodes. If you haven't subscribed to Bart show, I really, really recommend doing so. Uh, it's just a, he's a great, uh, resource about, uh, photography. So go get it. So another thing I'd like to talk about quickly is um, this morning when I got up, uh, it's we had a very light snowfall in New York City. Uh, light. They were saying little to no accumulation. When I got outside, it looked like it accumulated maybe about an inch or something like that. But um, I got outside and I always go out for breakfast, go get a coffee, uh, my local coffee shop. Kothra is my local coffee shop in Brooklyn on Cortelio Road. Just a little shout out to them if they ever listen to the show. It was a great coffee shop. 
guys there are great. Met a lot of friends there. Met Tom there, by the way. That's where Tom and I came up with the idea for Switch to Manuals in this coffee shop. Anyway, off on a tangent. I'm coming downstairs. I go, uh, I live on an avenue called Ocean, well, it's not an avenue. It's a sort of a thoroughfare called Ocean Parkway. And it's it's a main six-lane, well, essentially a highway, but uh, not you can't drive at highway speeds. Six-lane highway going north to south, and there's uh, two service roads off of each end uh, that um, go to the houses. And there's a little sort of walkway between, which you've probably seen a lot of my pictures of people sitting on benches on the Ocean Parkway. Anyway, uh, as I'm as I'm walking down the street, um, I suddenly notice. Well, first of all, it's very it's kind of blue out because it's early, early morning. I get up very early, so and it's snowing. And the, the snow has gotten onto the branches of the trees and it's fallen on the grass. But the roads, the, the snow hasn't accumulated on the roads or the sidewalks yet. So there's places where there's snow and there's places where there's not snow. And there's a very stark contrast to this. And just up the block as I'm walking, the cars are stopping for the light. And so all their lights are red. The tail lights are red. And I'm like, oh, this looks really nice. And so I've got my X100T with me because I'm always carrying my camera with me so I can take a picture no matter what weather. I'm always carrying the camera. And this guy runs by me, a jogger, and he's wearing a sort of a bright, you know, yellow fluorescent shirt. So I guess he could be seen at night. And I just pop like a dozen pictures as this guy runs by. Uh, the, 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 maybe the first or second shot are the ones that are, the, that are really good because he's closer to the camera. And... It is such a um, sort of, uh, you know, conglomerate of colors. There's the bluishness of the, of the environment, you know, of the sky and the, and the ground. And then there are these red lights of the, um, of the uh, uh, taillights of the cars. And then this, you know, neon yellow guys running by. Uh, now, I mentioned that, uh, hold that in your thoughts for a second. But I get up very early in the morning. Uh, roughly 6, 6.15, and during the winter in the northern hemisphere here, uh, it means it gives me some time to either go and do my exercise or, you know, go and check out through the window and see if there's going to be a really nice sunrise. And uh, Some of you who follow me on Flickr uh, have probably seen a bunch of my, or in Twitter as well, uh, have seen a bunch of my sunrise pictures, and I'm really enjoying getting up really early and and looking at the sunrises. Now we face, my apartment faces east, uh, so I can't, you know, I can't shoot sunsets. I can shoot sunrises. A lot harder to do because you got to wake up really early. Although I'm getting up early now, and in the winter it's easy because the sun rises later. Uh, I don't think I'll be doing this in the, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I'll be doing this in the summertime uh, unless I set my alarm to get up and then take pictures and then go back to sleep because the sun's going to be getting up very early. I don't really want to get up that early to shoot sunrise. But anyway, uh, you know, I get up, I'm doing stuff anyway, and I look out the window and I can kind of gauge like, you know, oh, it looks like it's going to be a nice sunrise. It looks like it's not, you know, it's a gamble. Should I stay and wait and not go to the coffee shop, just wait and take pictures? So I can kind of see. I'm getting good at, I'm getting kind of good at gauging the, the quality, you know, photographic uh, potential of the sunrise, I should say. And I've been doing a lot of series of sunrise pictures, and each time they look, God, they look so different, and they look so spectacular. And it's really great to see that. And uh, I post them on the Facebook page for my neighborhood, and everybody gets a thumbs up and, you know, talks about, what, you know, how they like enjoy the pictures. And it's, you know, a big ego boost for me. <laughs> But I just say, look, I'm just the messenger. I'm just taking the pictures, you know, of what I see. Um, but every now and then I will, someone will ask me, was the sky really that red, you know, or was the, the you know, was it that blue or whatever? I'm like, well, you know, I, yeah, no, yes and no. I mean, there those colors were there. I didn't add them, but I may have actually, you know, boosted the saturation or something like that, you know. Uh, to to get them to really pop. And uh, this got me thinking, especially considering the picture I posted today. I mean, this picture of the snow thing um, out in the street that I, I took. And, you know, I can't remember if I talked about this before, but, you know, processing the pictures is always part of, kind of part of the um, photographic process. If I say that word too many times, I'm sorry. But, you know, 
if we were to take pictures uh, with our cameras, whatever camera we have, and we were to sort of share the actual picture that comes out of the camera, let's say, let's, you know, we're shooting, let's assume we're shooting raw because raw is sort of like the, the non, you know, baked in version of the picture because a JPEG is usually an interpretation of, from the camera or, 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 or software uh, of what the picture looks like. Let's say we're just going for the raw picture, right? And, and you post that. The pictures are, are probably not going to look very interesting. Um, even though they're probably, they could be closer to reality in some ways, maybe not in every way, but in some ways they can be closer to what, quote unquote, you know, the real world looks like. And that's debatable. And I want to, you know, get into that. I can't get into that by myself right now, but let's just for the sake of discussion, say that, that raw pictures are going to look that, you know, it's not going to be a very interesting shot, you know, and, but, but when someone says this to me, like says, well, did, did you add a filter to it or something like that? And I was like, you know, I start to feel like, oh, you know, uh, did I just defraud somebody? Now, I think I did talk about this, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, you know, but this comes up every now and then. And I want to sort of, you know, tackle this every time it comes up because it's really a, a tough thing. I teach, um, just to go back for a second, I teach a street photography class and, you know, I'm showing them my pictures and the pictures are all, you know, people in the streets or things in the streets. And there's different colors and different processes I use to enhance the textures or the colors of pictures. And, you know, I, I, um, I'm showing them to the people and I'm like, you know what, this is, this is the way I see the world. This is these people. This is how I saw this person. This is how I saw that person. This is how I saw that wall. Um, yeah, I know it's not. And no, it's not real, you know, and uh, let's not get into the matrix here <laughs> in a way, and try to figure out what's real or not. You know, but we can all sort of say there's a common, we all sort of look at things and there's a sort of common thing that we can all sort of agree on that we call reality. But I'm not here to really um, present reality to the rest of the world. That's not what I'm about. I'm not a documentary photographer and maybe we can go back into that at some point in the future and talk about the difference between documentary and, and photojournalism and whatnot, uh, which is probably why like, you know, when photojournalists get called out on those contests or whatever that they've manipulated the picture, they get in a lot of trouble because then they've decided that they're going to interpret the picture and their job is not to interpret. It's just to document. This is what's going on in the world. Here's here, here it is. And this is, I'm the, I'm the eye that can show it to you in the world. That's, you know, to me, documentary photography, you're documenting something. Uh, I'm not a documentary photography. I'm far from it, you know, and, and street photography is not documentary photography. I don't, you know, people, you know, at least for me, okay, for me, it isn't, but you know, I can see a lot of street photographers, a lot of the work of friends I know who, uh, take pictures and they, they make the shadows really dark. And so there are these slivers of light. You know, when you walk around the street, your eyes got a quite a large dynamic range. And so you don't really see the way a camera sees and certainly you don't see the way a print shows you something. So if you see a, you know, a sliver of light coming down the street, you might see that sliver of light, but you can see in the shadows just as, just as well as you can see in the, in the bright light. And, you know, we process pictures to show, to show things and to hide things. And we're interpreting the world and we're showing people that interpretation. And it really becomes something else when I have, when I, I hate to say I have to explain to somebody, but I hate to not answer someone's question when they say, did you use a filter? Did you, what did you do to the colors? Was that really the red in the sky? And it gets a little tiring to, to have to, to choose to explain to somebody that this is what I do. This is, you know, well, no, you know, the sky is not that red. I, you know, I enhance the contrast a little bit more. And so that makes it a little bit more, you know, uh, the colors pop or something like that. And, uh, you know, I really never follow through with the person to find out if that meant anything to them. Is it changed their experience about how they look at my photograph? And, you know, I also, you know, I'm thinking about people who've posted questions to me in my, in this Facebook group that I'm part of, that's part of my neighborhood face group group. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's really appropriate or say like, you know, start having a dialogue about my photographs and like, uh, you know, that this is the way I see the world. But, you know, when I wake up in the morning, the sunrises are very spectacular 
when I see them and I'm like, wow, you know, and it's just, I'm amazed to be able to wake up and see this stuff. And a lot of people don't see this. And I love taking the pictures and sharing it with the world and, you know, putting my twist on it. I, everybody puts their twist on something, you know, everybody puts a, you know, when you cook your, you know, uh, beef stew, you know, you put a little extra salt in it, you put a little extra hot sauce in it. That's your twist. And that's what's going to make it in, you know, a interesting to you and be, you know, interesting to the people you share it with, you know, wow, it's a little spicy. It's a little, oh man, I love that little extra, you know, uh, Himalayan salt that you put in, you know, whatever it is, it, it, it makes the, the item unique. And so, yeah, you know, the pictures that come out of the camera are not the end to where my, the pictures don't end there. Sometimes they do, you know, if I have my, you know, I shoot uh, Fuji, so I shoot raw and JPEGs. And sometimes the JPEGs, I, you know, I look at them, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm done. I don't have to do anything to the picture. Or I don't want to do anything, I should say. I don't, it's not a have to, it's a choice, right? So I say I choose not to do anything more to the picture. That, that picture that came out of the back of the camera is how I envisioned what I saw. And so it gets left alone. But the beauty of like taking the picture and then putting it into some processing program or, you know, if you're shooting film and working in the dark room, there's a lot, there's a lot to that. It's a, it's how I'm adding my voice, my, my signature to the image that makes it mine. And it also helps to uh, let people know this is how I saw the world today. This is what my photography is about. I'm taking pictures to show you what I saw today, you know, and what I saw is, you know, through my eyes, through my filters and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I find myself having to do this with digital photography. I never really, eh, not so much had to do this with film, you know, film. I don't think anybody would come up to me and say, well, what filter would you put on this? Or, you know, I don't know. Maybe someone might say, what film did you use? Uh, you know, yeah, that question probably came up a couple of times, but they wouldn't say what paper did you print it on? Or, what enlarger did you use and what filters did you put in it? And, and you know, uh, there's probably endless questions you can say that with, with film. And I, those are questions that didn't pop up nearly as much as they're coming up with digital. Now there's, you know, it's not a great comparison because back in the film days, people, there were less people taking pictures. And today there's more people taking pictures and there's so many more ways to manipulate pictures. And for some reason, people feel this need to want to know how the, what the magic is behind the scenes. Now I'm going to put this question out in the world and maybe, you know, you guys can reply to me on Twitter or Facebook or something like that. But why is that? Why do, why is it more, why do people now more want to know about the behind the scenes things? What does that do? And for those of you who do it, and again, it's not, I'm trying not to judge it because I'd like to encourage people to sort of reply to this, but like, what does it, what does it do when, uh, one asks about that, the behind the scenes stuff, what's the magic behind the picture? What is it, what does it do for the person who's asking that? I'm really curious. Um, you know, I, in myself, uh, it's a really good question. I don't know if I can answer it in the time period that I'm setting for the show. <laughs> I don't want to sit here in silence and go, Hmm, I don't know. No, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to think about it for a while. It's a, it's a, it's an open question for everybody and myself included. What, what does it do, uh, for us to know how a picture is made? Um, so let's, let's put that onto the plate of things to answer. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a question. It's an open-ended question that can go on for a long time, but, uh, I really want to know that. And it's really, uh, I think popped up more in, in digital, uh, photography than it has in film, but it's not totally just limited to digital. I think it's happened before, but it, it, it comes up a lot more. Maybe it's because there's so many more people taking pictures now and they all want to do it. Maybe it's in just another way for people to be flattered, you know, flattering your work and like say, I would love to be able to take a picture like that. You know, I, I know that kind of thought process um, because you love something so much, you want to be able to duplicate it, you know, what is it? Uh, imitation is a serious form of flattery. You know, it's like maybe you want to imitate somebody because you really love that stuff. But, uh, but I think there's something else to it too. There's, there's gotta be something more to it. There's this understanding and, you know, people 
pixel peeping and looking at stuff in, in teeny tiny details and like what what purpose does that serve and so let's 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 ask that question together and let's answer it together all right um and like keep that dialogue going all right wow i managed to talk to you guys up for 40 minutes <laughs> i don't know if i've said anything worthwhile <laughs> i hope you guys don't mind um definitely gonna get uh, you know um gonna get tom on the show i'm gonna come up with better subjects i swear the show's just gonna get better and better but i'm really glad you're 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 staying with me so far and it's come to the time uh in this you know life of the podcast i'm not gonna do it now i'm just gonna give you sort of like a, a taste of things but uh i think every photography podcast has done this maybe uh other podcasts have done it well but you know, this is my show, mostly my show. I know it's Tom's show too, but you know, I'm I'm way, I'm carrying the flag more often than not. So I like to say it's something that we put together and can do whatever I want. <laughs> but you know, in the life of uh, this show, we're 66 episodes in. Uh, we still have a lot more time to go, and we've only I, I still find we've done baby steps. But I think it's come soon to the time where. Um, well, anyway, before I get into that, I want to say that, you know, Tom and I made this show because, first of all, you know, we love photography and we love sharing our experiences with other people. And this is why we came up with the Switch to Manual classes. And when we sort of put those on the uh, the classes in the back burner, we came up with the idea of the podcast so we can keep that sort of going. And the idea for the show is not to be really a technical thing, although, like I've said, you know, in the early in the segment. I spent all this time talking about Fuji cameras. This, we can't get away from the technical. It's going to happen. But I think one of the, one of the things I was talking about with Tom when we first started this, and um, I, I might, might get this a little mixed up, but I, the gist of it is like I wanted to, you know, keep it us, right? You know, that you would get to learn uh, from our personalities and stuff that we liked. And the idea was, you know, when we did our uh, switch to manual classes, we would end the class at a bar and hang out with everybody and talk to people you know it's just like let's sit over a bar and talk photography and well you know what did we just learn and what can we talk about more about you know and stuff like that and just really you know you get to spend some time with us and then the podcast became a way to do that because you're really just hearing our thoughts you know and and we're talking about stuff directly uh, to you guys and hopefully with each episode you get to know us a little bit better and the idea is you know you're sitting around the coffee shop with us or the bar around us and this is not any different than many bazillion other podcasts i'm sure but you guys are listening to me right and i'm another person i'm a different person from uh, all the other people you listen to and hopefully you get a little bit from me that you don't get from somebody else and you get something else from somebody else that you don't get from me and together you know you you sort of you build, uh, you know, this sort of group of people that you learn from and, um, and, and, and you just get to know us and hopefully we become, you know, virtual friends in some way. And so when I do a show like this, when it's mostly just me and I just come up with stuff on my own, I'm hoping that you get to know a little bit about why I do things, you know, uh, I, I don't shy away from talking about some of the personal stuff and I think you guys know that. And that's not going to go away because that's the kind of person I am. I like I like talking about the stuff that makes me me, um, you know, within reason, obviously, and not trying to make everybody uncomfortable. But, you know, there are things that affect me. So anyway, it's sort of a long winded way of saying, you know, now is the time in this show's <laughs> time period, you know, where or at least getting close to it, where, you know, start to talk about some of the things that influence me. And I've talked about photographers that influence me. Uh and it, probably an artwork that's influenced me. And the one thing that I haven't really gone into, and I'm not going to go into it now because we're already 40 minutes of the show, but I'm going to put like sort of the teaser out there for now. I'm a big fan of movies. And uh, for a little personal background, and uh, excuse me for those of you who I might have already said this to, but there are people who probably don't know this. If I had not become a photographer, I would have been uh, making films. And in fact, I think my my really my first... Yeah, this is my first camera. I mean, I had little point-and-shoot Instamatic cameras, but I think my f like the first time I spent a lot of money on a camera, it was a movie camera, um, Super 8 movie camera, or an 8 millimeter. Was it Super 8 or 8 millimeter? I can't remember now. 
might have been eight millimeter, not super eight. Anyway, um, that was my first camera. And I eventually sold that camera to buy a 35 millimeter Pentax uh, film camera. But if I had not gotten into, you know, photography, I would have been doing film. I grew up sort of in the film business. My mom was in working a lot in films in New York and I was an extra as a kid, a lot in movies. And I was always behind the scenes, um, on movie sets and stuff like that. And I just grew up that way and it became sort of a natural thing for me to do. And so like, I was really into the movie making and stuff like that. I loved it. I loved it. I still love it now. I still like it. Well, I say love it. It's not the right word. I, I love photography and I really, really, really like filmmaking. Um, I don't make enough of my own films, but I really like everything about filmmaking. And I think there was some point in my life when I was in uh, junior high school and uh, I was going on a school trip and uh, I wanted to take better still pictures because I think I had this Instamatic camera that did 110 film. So some of you might understand that. I'm not going to go explain it, but go look up 110 film and Instamatics. You'll see what I was working with. And uh, I think I asked my father, who was a photographer, uh, that I wanted to get a better camera than this. And he's like, oh, well, you got to go here and you got to buy this and you got to talk to this guy, blah, blah, blah. And the only way I could do that was I could I sold or traded in my movie camera uh, to buy this Pentax camera. And then this sort of sent me, and then he said, oh, my dad said, oh, then you have to shoot the film and you have to go to my friend's studio. He's going to show you how to pill, he'll show you how to process the film and blah, blah, blah. And that's how I sort of got hooked more into doing still photography. But sorry, film's always been my, my, you know, thing. I love looking at movies. I love stories. I love the cinematography. I love the behind the scenes things. And one of my favorite things to think about is that, you know, when you're on a movie set, uh, it, there's chaos everywhere. There's lights, there's stands, there's wires, there's people, there's coffee cups. I mean, you name it, it's everything. But when you, when you look at that frame that the camera is framing out, it's perfect, right? There's none of that chaos in there. And I really, really, really love that. And so I love knowing how a movie is made. I love knowing all the stuff behind the scenes. I love knowing that that frame is clean and designed to be perfect uh, wherever the camera is, is pointed. And it never takes away from me knowing how the movie is made. Now, I just realized this is sort of maybe it's tying into the question they're just asking about why we want to know why picture, how pictures are made. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm coming up with something here. I don't know. Um, I'm just doing this on the, I'm just flying this here, uh, flying by the seat of my pants here. But anyway, I like all that. Right. And so, uh, going to movies, seeing movies, I can't say those, you know, the visual, uh, process of a film has not, has influenced me. It could not, not influence me. Uh, I didn't grow up necessarily looking at photo books. I grew up watching television and movies and, you know, seeing Star Wars 27 times in the theater. Yes, I did that when I was a kid. Uh, you know, seeing these things and maybe, you know, not necessarily going to galleries at first, but going and seeing films. And so a lot of these movies are part of my visual DNA, as it were. You know, um, there it's in there. And I think about this stuff and maybe not on a conscious level, but certainly on a subconscious level. So anyway... I've been lately collecting still pictures that I've been grabbing from movies that I like. And I've been planning to do a blog post on it, but I uh, just really haven't gotten around to, like, I don't know what I'm going to say about it because it's so visual. You know, I'm looking at these stills that I grab from all the, you know, many of the movies that I like that I can find these stills from and, and you know, sort of storing them someplace. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about to them. I'm just looking at them. And it's like beautiful imagery. So anyway, I wanted to say that this is the sort of the point in this podcast you know, lifetime that uh, I do want to start talking about the movies that influence, you know, uh, photography and uh, or maybe my photography and, you know, beautiful imagery and beautiful frames and directors and stuff like that, because I, I think that's very important. Like I, the way I say to you guys, you know, go to the, go to um, the best, you know, a great way to you know, really stimulate your eyes to go to a museum, look at, look at uh, paintings. Paintings are great things to look at. Uh, because a painting is, you know, totally created by somebody. They're not like, it's not happening. You know, it's not something they randomly, you know, take a picture of and have to worry about framing. It's like, you know, you're in total control of that frame when you paint. So it's great to see that. But even seeing sculptures and stuff like that. But, you know, movies are a great thing to see. You know, it's 24 still pictures a second. 
unless you're watching The Hobbit, which was 48 still frames a second, which was impossible for me to watch, and I couldn't stand it. Anyway, you get the idea. You know, a movie is 24 still frames a second, um, the illusion of movement, and there is visual vocabulary in the movies. Um, Some of it copies over. Now, you know, uh, some of it doesn't. You know, most movies are horizontal, and, you know, sometimes we shoot verticals, so maybe some of that doesn't directly correlate. Maybe it does. But anyway, I wanted to give you a list of the movies that that off the top of my head right now that I thought um, at some point I want to talk about. At least I have a lot of the visuals that I would like to share, show you guys, and maybe under you know maybe dissect them a little bit. But I thought I'd just give you a teaser so that you get to know me a little bit better. All right, I'm uh, turning 54 later this year. I'm 53 now, so I've lived through a time when there was a lot of great movies, the 70s. Uh, a lot, a lot of crap movies too, but you know, <laughs> of, you know, I went to see Star Wars when I was, shoot, what was I? 77. So I was, uh, 64. So I was 12 years old when I saw that, uh, Star Wars blew me away, Just blew me away. I mean, you know, and it's hard to say that now because everybody knows, you know, movies, but when you, 1977, when a movie like Star Wars came out and you watched that in the big screen and you saw that, that first opening shot that Star Destroyer comes over, I was just like, I couldn't even, I couldn't, I can't even describe how I feel, felt. But, I mean, I told you, I went to the theater, I watched this movie, Star Wars, seven, uh, 27, 26 times in the theater. That opening night, I think I stayed three times, you know, in the theater. Uh, it was a time when you could actually do that. And I was a little kid, so, you know, maybe I snuck around, I can't remember what to do, but I would, I would go see that. That movie blew me away, and the, the visuals in that movie are definitely imprinted on me forever. I mean, I will never forget that movie. But let me just give you the list of the films that I like. And some of them you're going to know, they're going to be obvious, but some of them you're not, you might not have heard of before. But none of them are too obscure. I have a few obscure films. I'll talk about those later. But I wanted to put this out into the world, and uh, maybe maybe it's a call to other people who want to be on the show to talk about some of the stuff. I'd love to talk about this with other people instead of just telling you guys, you know, why I like stuff, uh, and maybe I can get dialogue with somebody who wants to come on the show, and we can talk about some of the stills and maybe swap pictures. So anyway, I'm going to go into this, and, and I'll be done. So these are some of my uh, most influent, like visually influencing, influencing movies to me. Um, I also happen to like them a lot. I thought they're, they're great movies, but uh, I'll give you a list. Okay, first we got... Um, and this is in no particular order. It's just something that I was writing. Uh, Blade Runner, the original one, and Blade Runner 2049. Okay? Number one. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, my God. I love that film. Um, uh, the film The Road. Uh, recent, m- relatively recent film with uh, Viggo Mortensen about the end of the world. Uh, sh- wonderfully shot movie. A uh, movie called Sorcerer from also the same year that Star Wars opened. Uh, the guy who directed The French Connection, uh, William Friedkin, and uh, Roy Scheider is in it. A really, now, that might be an obscure film that a lot of people haven't heard about. It's a great film. It's kind of a guy film. Uh, the visuals in it are phenomenal. It's also a really good psychological film. Uh, a science fiction film called The Andromeda Strain, a Michael Crichton uh, book. The uh, film is in the early 70s. There's been a remake of it. I'm not talking about the remake. There's a movie that was in the 70s. Uh, fantastic film uh definitely not for today's audiences in some way it's a movie that takes its time telling the story uh, it might put people to sleep um but visually incredible uh gladiator uh 2000 the one with the you know gladiator with the what's his name <laughs> i'm totally spacing out on his name oh my god this is what happens when you get old uh, Russell Crowe, right? Uh, visuals in that Ridley Scott film. Uh, you notice I had uh, another Ridley Scott film, Blade Runner. I, I should oh, I didn't add another one to this list. Uh, Alien, um, as well. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Ridley Scott fan. I think he has a great visual eye. Uh, anyway, Gladiator. It's just uh, I thought it was a wonderfully shot film. Uh, Road Warrior. Mel Gibson, uh, early '80s, shot in Australia on a shoestring budget. George Miller. Uh, the original Road Warrior, uh, Mel Gibson. I'm not a big Mel Gibson fan anymore. He's kind of a nut. But uh, it was a great film. Uh, Jaws, of course, wonderful film. Steven Spielberg, a great, great film uh, visually. 
Patton with George C. Scott as Patton, World War II film. Uh, Insomnia, uh, Chris Nolan version. There's a Norwegian version, but I'm talking about, uh, I'm a big Chris Nolan fan. Uh, Insomnia uh, with uh, Robin Williams and uh, Al Pacino. The, the filming of that movie is just it's wonderful. It's so good. Uh, Solaris, uh, Steven Soderbergh's version. And there's an earlier version from the, there's a science fiction movie. There's one from the 60s, and it's, I don't remember, it's like three or four hours long. It's not that one. It's the more modern version of Solaris. Steven Soderbergh. I love Steven Soderbergh's work. Another visual uh, genius. Uh, this is not a movie. It's a television show, The Handmaid's Tale. That was recently on Hulu. The filming of that was um, unbelievable, unreal. I mean, it was just uh, I when I did my screen captures for stills from for movies and stuff like that, I think I pulled the most amount of clips from The Handmaid's Tale uh, in terms of visuals stills that were just gorgeous to look at. Um, so that's it. Paths of Glory, Stephen, uh, sorry, um, Stanley Kubrick film about World War One with uh, Kirk Douglas in it. Be- beautifully shot, black and white, um, incredible movie. These are all, these are all really good movies, by the way, or shows. I mean, really, they're worth seeing. Uh, but uh, Paths of Glory, fantastic film. Uh, Spartacus, also with Kirk Douglas, not the remake on Stars, which has also actually got some really good visuals because the the guy who did 300 uh, did that. And so actually I kind of like that. So I might put that on the list too, the, the modern Spartacus. and uh, But the original movie uh, from the early 60s, uh, Kirk Douglas and Lawrence Olivier, fantastically visually visual uh not a very stanley kubrick film he came in to uh fill in for the director so it's, it doesn't really feel like a you know later stanley kubrick movie but the visuals in it are fantastic uh another tv series uh mr robot um also very much an homage to stanley kubrick films but i think it's beautifully shot i, I could just look at that film the, that show all day long even without without audio but anyway that's a, that's a, uh, oh, one last one. Sorry, I'm going to add this one here. The Train. Another World War II film with Burt Lancaster, shot in black and white. Uh, great story, man, about, wow, it's like uh, the Nazis are, are getting out of France and they're stealing all the art. And the resistance has the job to stop the train that all this uh, artwork is on. Um Great film, great film. Oh my God, great film. <laughs> if you can find it, you know, rent it and watch it. Um, but the the photography in it is fantastic. It's fantastic. So anyway, that's. I mean, I, I my list my list can be much much longer than that. I'm sure. But these are the ones that just sort of came to my mind, and these are the ones I've actually done a bunch of screen caps for. These are in my visual DNA. And in a way, you can tell, for anybody who's like writing down the list of names, you can kind of see that I'm a science fiction, uh, history, World War II, um, buff, right? There's a couple of modern films in there, but not a, not a lot, you know? Uh, so you can kind of see my personalities coming out there. Now, it's very interesting when you look at the street photography I do. It's like, how does this stuff translate? I'll leave that to you guys to figure out because I don't, I don't self-analyze myself. It's not too, not too easy. Anyway. Uh, I've talked to you guys for almost an hour. Uh, anyway, so, uh, sorry. Yes, I have almost talked to you for an hour. Uh, put this on the, uh, on the list of things that we'll talk about later. Um, and maybe we'll figure out some ways to talk about it together. I would love to do that with you guys. Uh, maybe some of you guys want to be on the show and talk about your movies and stuff like that. And the, again, it's not talking about movies, not about films here. It's just like, what is it that stimulates you visually? Where is it that you get your inspiration from? What is it, you know? We all, we all want to know kind of like what's behind, you know, this is like the, what's behind the scenes, what's going on behind you that makes you tick. What's, what are the, oh, those are the things that you'd like to see. So anyway, that's kind of the goal here with that. Uh, we'll see where it goes, but now you got a little inkling of that. So anyway, that being said, I'm going to, I'm going to end the show. Thanks for hanging in with me. Uh, thanks for uh, supporting the show. Uh, a couple of things. Um, the, the Switch to Manual site is down as of today. Uh, I haven't figured out what's going on. It looks like I might have some bad, someone might have gone on the site and hacked it, and there might be some bad code in there, and I really want to just revamp it. So um, switchtomanual.com is down. So if you want to get in touch with me, you know, do our Switch to Manual Twitter feed, which is at switch the number two manual. 
So at switch to manual, uh, we're also starting Instagram so we can find us on there as well, which is also at switch number two manual. Um, but you can also chase us on our uh, Facebook page. That would be a great way to get to us. But uh, at some point, I'll hit the site back up. It's a really bummer, but it's like um, I got so much stuff to do and putting up a site again. Oh, my God. I might just pull it off of where it is and, you know, I might uh, trash it and burn it and start it someplace else. I don't know. Um, I was thinking about Squarespace or something like that. I don't know. You guys have any thoughts about where I could start thinking about making the site again uh, you know right now it's on a wordpress site anyway i don't want to get too much into it uh any suggestions um i want to get the site back up uh i just can't spend too much time on it but anyway don't go there now it's it's dead uh this is gonna be on the podbean page you can you can put uh comments there uh or you know find it other places um so we can't support the site right now by going to our you can do it by our podbean page we have a tip cup that's a great way to support it but we can't do any of the uh, portfolio reviews and stuff like that so uh if you guys anybody who does want to support the site we really really appreciate it you know we're doing this on our own when we can and uh anytime you guys chip in it's like uh wow man you know we've really made a difference and people are reaching in their pockets and helping us so we really appreciate it so on the uh switch to manual pod bean pod bean page uh, we have a tip cup there uh, so if you want to show you some, uh, some support, that's a, that's a place to do it. Uh, other than that, gee, that's the end. I can't think of anything else to say. Uh, Twitter, Flickr sites. Yeah, we're on Flickr. Yeah, you know, you know where to get us. Uh, but support the show. You know, the best way to support us, please, is if you're on iTunes, give us ratings and reviews. And you know what? Tell people to listen. Tell your friends to listen. If you really like the show, uh, you know, spread the word. The best thing we can do is have more people listening to us and grow our audience. I really, really want to grow the audience uh, a lot more. I want to spread this word out. So um, I really enjoy sharing all this stuff with you guys. And the fact that you guys are listening and we're getting people subscribing. I mean, wow, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that we would be able to do this. So uh, tell your friends about us and me and Tom and the stuff we do here and uh, get them tuned into this show and uh thanks that's the best that's another great way to support us uh other than that uh i will uh call it a night and uh i will see you next time and say see you later and if tom was here he'd say adios <laughs>